Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Welcome to another episode of the Uphill Athlete podcast. I'm your host, Scott Johnston, um, co-founder of Uphill Athlete, and with me today is my longtime favorite athlete and now coach at Uphill Athletes, Sam Naney. Um, Welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Yep. Good to be here again, Scott. Well, today, Sam and I are going to talk about something that I think is near and dear to our hearts from our ski racing backgrounds, and um, that is the the speed, the subject of speed. And I think that that's something that's often overlooked in ultra-endurance type events where athletes are, you know, they're not moving anywhere near their top speed. And so people tend to think that speed's not a very necessary um, component to train. But I think we can offer some insights into that as how a person can actually improve their uh, performance with a little bit of speed training. Um, Well, thanks, Sam. Um, Let's start by defining, um, well, actually, I want to start with a, a little saying that we have actually out in our gym, and that is... <laughs> on yellowing paper. Yeah, on yellowing paper, and it says, speed kills those that don't have it. <laughs> and that was a, a little ditty that I got from uh, a track coach at one point. It makes a lot of sense. Um, but we're going to do first a, a kind of a deep dive into some of the theory behind speed training. And um, I'll start off with a, a few points that I want to make and then let Sam take it from there. Um, so <clears throat> speed, of course, is the ability to move quickly. And what we know about speed is that it is primarily a neurologic training effect um, as compared to endurance, which is primarily um, a metabolic training effect. And you need to be strong in order to be fast and you need to be powerful in order to be fast. And in fact, I think of speed being the, the, the pinnacle of a pyramid that is supported um, at the level right below it by power and at the base level by strength and that you'll never be fast if you're weak. And uh, so it's important that you, you, that's one of the ways we can help people develop speed is first of all, just making them a bit stronger and then also, once they're strong enough, we can be introduce some power into their movements. Power, of course, strength being really just the force you can generate with your muscles and power being the rate of that force generation. And uh, I, so it makes, I think it's, it's a very short jump from power to speed because you can understand that somebody who can generate a lot of force very quickly is probably going to be pretty fast. I mean, Usain Bolt being <laughs> a, a perfect, perfect example. But, so where, what are your thoughts when you begin to like formulate ideas or how do you, what, how does your, um, you know, what is your brain telling you about speed? How do you kind of, uh, have you created a framework in your head about how you think about speed? Yeah. I, I, when I, when I think about it and certainly when I talk to athletes about 
training speed. Um, I, if there's, if there's any question about why it might be relevant to say an ultra runner or a, a mountaineer, then I'll, I'll tell them exactly what, what you just said. You know, I think having an ability to move quickly and, and quickly obviously is, is, is relative to whatever your chosen objective is, but ideally you want to be, you want to have speed and, and we'll talk about this later and, and ultimate ability to move faster than is, than is required for the majority of your sport. It's good to have that reserve and, and we'll get to that topic. Uh, but, you know, starting, starting with that idea that speed is important uh, regardless of, of your, of your pursuit and then go on, you know, I try to describe speed as a, it's, it is a, a component of strength. Um, so if a, you know, a strong muscle, is one that can move really effectively through its range of motion and it can, and it can fire really quickly. Uh, and as you say, you know, you take, you ideally can take that, that muscle that has that good range that can fire quickly. And then, uh, and then you want to create that, that power component so that it can fire quickly, uh, many times and, and exert a high force, uh, so that, you know, I think helping to couch the idea of speed as a form of strength can then make it easier to think about how to create workouts around building speed, recognizing that it's, it is indeed a strength component that you're, that you're trying to, trying to hone. Yeah. And it's that, that, that power thing, I think what, what I, where I find the, the most interesting component of speed is in the power. <clears throat> it's that rate of force production. And, you know, your experience as a sprinter in cross-country skiing, you know, we work on that, you know, a lot. We yeah. spent a lot of time, you know, developing the ability to, you know, apply force very quickly um, and then many times over in order to help you to accelerate you. And I think that something that will be interesting for the folks that in our audience, which are primarily people who do events that last, you know, many hours and sometimes even longer, um, is the, the notion that like, we're not talking about sprint speed in this talk today. I mean, it's important to understand that, yeah, you know, a hundred meter runner, that is pure speed. Mm. That's really all they're worried about. There's no endurance component to that. <clears throat> and, but we have a more complicated situation, in you know, the sports that we work with because we, we have that neuromuscular component that needs to be trained. But on the other side, we have to also train the, that metabolic effect, the endurance component in those same muscle cells. So, because our events aren't, you know, 10 seconds long, right? Um, right. It could be 10 hours very easily. And so I, I think it's, so what we're going to talk a, a little bit about here is what we, a term that we use is called event specific speed. And that's the speed that you need to be, you're generally going to be doing or, or needing to move at, in the event you're, that you're uh, training for. And, and so in, in the kind of sports that we're talking to talking about, you know, that could be everything from a vertical kilometer race, which is, you know, something around an hour or less all the way to, you know, a hundred miles or, you know, a multi multi-day event, um, climbing expedition, climbing yeah. expedition, all that. Yeah. And so it's important to kind of identify what, that what your event specific speed is if you're training for something that's an hour or less that's going to have that's going to have a very different speed component of training than something that's multi-hour would you agree yeah yeah and i think this is where you know we talk about this a lot in in thinking about the sports that we often uh, work with you know as as objectives for people 
they're not as uh, easily quantified as, as say, some a track runner or or a, a half marathon or a marathon road runner. You know, in those in those sports, uh, there tends to be a much uh, firmer uh, sort of gradation of of target speeds you're trying to hit. So you want to run a three hour marathon you have a pretty good idea there for of, of what your per mile time needs to be. And so you look and say, okay, my goal is a three hour marathon and currently I can run, uh, you know, a three twelve. And so this is how much improvement I need to see in my average mile time in order to get there. And once you've established those quantities, then you can work backward in building out training that, that gradually ekes that, you know, that speed out of your per mile time. But if you're looking at something like, a hundred mile trail race, you've got periods of time during that race where you're, you know, you're running down uh, a four service road and maybe you're clipping seven minute, seven and a half minute miles. And then other times you're climbing up a steep, barely trail you know, on, on, on a, on a steep mountain and you're going, you know, 25 minute mile at best. So, so how to define what is the, what is the speed you're hoping to achieve there is really important. Um, and I think, that's where, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, creating, creating the economy of, of the muscles to be able to do work uh, in the best possible way so that they can be most adaptable to those changing circumstances in a given event or a given objective. Yeah, and I think it makes sense then to, you know, because our, these, almost all these, I would say all the events that we generally deal with, have a great deal of variety of the speed, like you just mentioned, because of the terrain variations. And as a consequence, that you might, especially in something like a long distance running race, where you'll be running some and walking mm-hmm. some in that race, you need to be training speed in both those modalities. You yeah. can't just rely on running speed to make you faster at uphill hiking. And uh, so it, you kind of have to have a, 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 an approach that, that targets both those, those types of modalities. You know, with, for mountaineering, it's going to be more basically, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, hiking steeply uphill. But that, is, that also has its own component of speed. And we often hear, or I certainly do hear a lot of emails from people saying, well, I can go forever. I just can't go very fast. Mm-hmm. And so that's somebody who's lacking speed. You know, they they're they're not strong enough probably or powerful enough to move faster you know and, and it's i hear this often um from mountaineers you know they're not very experienced just getting started and they say how can i improve my rate of climb how can i get faster well that's you know, first you got to get stronger especially yeah. in mountaineering because you're probably carrying a heavy pack and then we need to develop more power and you need to do just like the the ultra runner you need to be doing your speed training in a very event specific way so you know as a wild example that wouldn't work at all would be to try to do your speed work on a bicycle when you're training for mountaineering yeah your legs could move really fast but it doesn't look anything like your event and so this is i think in these whenever it comes to intensity whether it's speed or aerobic intensity we're going to talk a bit about that too here in a while i i always focus on event-specific movements in those. The higher the intensity, the more this needs to look like the event you're training for. For sure. Yeah. And so I think that's a, that's a really good takeaway for people too is to just understand that, you know, you, 
like you could do downhill running and become really fast at it, but that's not going to probably help you in your vertical K. Right. Yeah. It, it may, you're going to gain some, you know, biomechanical benefit from, from doing that. You know, so you're, you're creating turnover, you, you know, maybe running downhill, you know, could help you in terms of getting you into a, a position that you're trying to achieve. Uh, but yeah, you need, needs, you need to turn that specificity lens toward actually going uphill. Um, and I think one, one thing you just mentioned that I also think is really important uh, when we'll hear people say, for instance, you know, I, I'm signed up for this climb and I'm told I need to be able to climb 1500 feet per hour uh, with a 40 pound pack. And, and so I, I've just spent the last three weeks putting on a 40 pound pack and trying to climb uphill as fast as I can in order to reach that. And, and what we might, what we would then say to those, that person is like, well, if you, if you don't have, if you don't yet have the speed to do 1500 feet per hour without a 40 pound pack, there's, you're, you're not doing yourself any service by putting on the pack and trying to achieve it in that most specific form. We need to step back from that and get you to be able to be moving at that speed first without the weight and then build that, you know, build your economy in, a, a, on top of that to be able to do it with the weight because you're, you're not going to be able to achieve that. There's too much of a load to overcome. That's a, I think that's a really good point. Thanks for bringing that up, Sam. I think that that's something that <clears throat> we're, as I think most people who <clears throat> listen to our podcast and read our books or spend some time on the website understand that you know, we follow the idea of periodizing training. Um, and that's a big word and it's a kind of a difficult subject sometimes for people to, and there's some controversy about periodization, but we have found over many, many years that periodizing, in other words, in, in, in different periods of a person's training, they'll be focusing on different qualities that they're trying to improve. And so like Sam was just saying, like we would train that person that wants to climb 1500 feet an hour by having them hike uphill without a pack till they could comfortably do 1500 feet an hour. But at the, and on the other end of the physiological spectrum, we would probably have them in the gym doing heavy box step ups yep. at the same time. So in this, what we would call the base period, we would be focusing on, you know, on one end of the uh, physiological spectrum, the, the metabolic effect that's needed to move you up that hill at 1,500 um, feet an hour. And at the, the very opposite end of the, the physiological spectrum would be training the neurologic effect, which is your ability to take a big step upward with a heavy pack on your back. Mm -hmm. And we like to train these, what we call fundamental qualities in the base period in separate workouts. And then eventually, once we feel that the strength is high enough and that uh, you know the metabolic quality is is there, we bring those together. Yeah. And then that's the sports specific event or an event or event specific speed endurance training that we'd be doing because we're bringing the endurance end of things together with the strength end of things. Um, yeah, and we see this. I, I think, and I try to describe that uh, to athletes as as a pyramid. So at the base of your pyramid, at the sort of foundational level of your training, you have these individual components. And as you've described, you have, you know, your, your aerobic capacity, you have your, your foundational strength that maybe is being developed in a, in a gym doing box step ups and adding weight to your box step ups. And then you have this, um, this sort of neuromuscular speed component where you're, you're creating the, the biomechanics and the neuromuscular um, coordination to move quickly 
And then as your, as those individual components get, get stronger, you can create workouts that start to combine them with the idea that the tip of that pyramid is basically your objective. It's, it's being able to do 1500 feet per hour with a 40 pound pack. Um, but I think, you know, when we think about mistakes, you know, as, as we've described with this one, you know, a mistake would be to try to train your ability to do 1500 feet an hour with a 40 pound pack by going out and doing that thing. Uh, I think similarly, what we see across the board with endurance sport is that, uh, folks, and, and I think we're both, uh, you know, have fallen victim to this mentality in, in, in our own training at times, uh, will try to achieve, uh, improvements in, in speed by starting at too global of a level, right? So instead of trying to work on, for instance, if we think about Nordic skiing, you know, trying to develop the biomechanics and the really effective technique moving quickly over a 10 or 15 second period so that they can have that high turnover, they might go and do sets of four minute intervals. So, so now they're trying to ski fast, but they're trying to do it for longer and they're trying to do it, you know, that has a high aerobic demand they're just not going to be able to achieve that ultimate speed quantity that they want because there are too many other loads being piled on them at that time. Yeah, that, I think that's a, a really relevant point that we should spend a little time on that. That, <clears throat> excuse me. The um, what we've been talking about in, the, in these, you know, this period is not periodized approach where we have these fundamental qualities that we're, we're trying to elevate those fundamental qualities. And once those qualities are elevated to a sufficient level, and that's a you know, judgment. And of course also has to do with how much time do you have right. um, before your event. Um, but once those, ele- those qualities are elevated, then we can bring them into these, a workout that combines speed and endurance. But the, the tendency of a lot of folks, we hear this, you know, I'm sure we hear it several times a week where people contact us and say, yeah, I'm just doing, you know, all these weighted hikes and that sort of thing. And, but we find out they're aerobically deficient. Yeah. So they, they're, they're lacking probably the most important fundamental quality for these kind of long distance, long duration events is that aerobic base. They're, they're lacking that, but they're going right to the sexy stuff. Right, you know, the, the, stuff, most, the most specific global yeah. type of workout. Yeah, and the, the problem with that is that that global, that, that mixed workout that has all these qualities brought together into one workout, that thing is never going to be fully effective if any one of those qualities, that's those fundamental qualities, are lacking. Mm-hmm. So if your aerobic capacity sucks or, you know, you're not very strong, I mean, I'm using two really simple cases here, where you're not very powerful, then doing a speed endurance workout, you know, hiking uphill as hard as you can with a 40-pound pack is not going to give you the benefits that would if you spent the time to elevate the, those fundamental qualities yeah. before you yeah. did that. Now, there, with that said, I just mentioned the fact that this is highly dependent on how much time you have between your your where, where you are today and where you need to be on a certain date, you know, climbing that 1,500 feet an hour. And at some point, you will need to be doing that kind of mixed speed endurance work where you put the heavy pack on, you hike uphill hard. Um, because if you don't do that, you Your body's not going to know what it's about, what yeah. it's like when you actually get there. Exactly, you're not yeah. going to be well prepared for the climb. So, right. you know, we have people come to us and say, oh, "I've got you know six or eight weeks before Rainier, um, going on this climb on Rainier," and you know, we will 
do what we can to elevate some of those fundamental qualities, but eight weeks isn't enough time to really move the needle very much in yeah. either the strength end or the aerobic end. So we just, you know, it's counter to our philosophy, but we just have to say, okay, here's six weeks out. We better start doing some heavy weighted climbs with you. Otherwise you're going to get to Rainier and you're, like you said, your body's really not going to know what hit it. Well, and I think it's, it's, you know, we, we talk often about, you know, the, the mindset of an endurance athlete and this, you know, the sort of type A personality that it draws. And I think this, this is yet another one of those examples of why folks like us and many of the people that we work with are drawn to these sports is that they require just a, a significant level of just toughing it out, you know, right. and, and yeah. you have grit and tenacity. And, and so what unfortunately comes of that uh, mentality or, or perception of what the event's going to be is this notion that if you train in that way, you know, if you, if you just, tra- if your training reflects that sort of boy, this just working hard, gritting your teeth going, then that in turn is going to be the, the highest contribution to your ultimate outcome. But in, in reality, you know, just knowing what it's like to work hard is, is usually not going to be enough if you don't have other pieces in place. Um, and I think one of the things that's really gratifying for an athlete and, and certainly for a coach working with someone is to have gone through these steps that we're talking about and particularly um, building up speed and someone's ability to move fast over a distance from that foundational level and then have them get to their objective and thinking about, you know, something like Rainier as an example, excuse me. And, and having them come back and be like, Oh my gosh, it felt, I felt so in control the whole time. I was never, I never felt extended beyond myself. You know, I, yeah, there were, there were parts of each day where I felt like I was working, but I was never at the ragged end. And, and that, I think it, that was a real realization for me in, in ski racing when we had sort of cracked that, cracked that code in terms of how we approached the training and built those qualities all up is that, you know, it could be a really challenging race and, you know, high quality field racing, you know, at the, at the high end of, of speed, but felt in control. You know, there wasn't, it, it was certainly not the case where as soon as the gun went off, you were just, you know, tongue dragging 10 feet behind you and just working hard as possible. It was, you know, you were sort of in this optimal place of matching the ability to move at a certain rate with what your body's capacity could do. Yeah. I think that that point you started this with is really important that it's, the people who are attracted to this, we know these sports take a lot of grit. It, you know, you need to be tough. You need to be able to suffer. But some people, I think, just think that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. And that those, uh, I mean, I, I use this, I think we, I've used this example in one of our earlier talks, Sam, I think about the marathon. You know, the, the marathon is an event that is competed at one's aerobic threshold. And so when we look at these incredible Kenyan runners, you know, running, you know, 202 marathons, they're not running harder right. than you and I would be running. They're just running a whole hell of a lot faster than you and I would be running. And, um, and I think that that's the mistake a lot of people make sometimes is they just think, oh, those mountaineers or 100 milers, people that do these 100 miles, they're just, you know, you have to be incredibly tough, which you, which know, you, you have, do. You do need yeah. to be tough. <laughs> You're going to suffer a lot out there. Yeah. But that can't be the only tool you bring to the, the party. It's got to be just, you know, it's there. You're gonna you're gonna have to draw on it, but 
if you don't have some fundamental speed that you've been working on, and I'll talk about you know what with Sam what we were what we were did to develop help him develop speed and the economy of at movements uh, economy of moving fast, and we'll talk about what economy means in, in a minute. Was we were doing these uh, on roller skis, um, this essentially like a, a track sprinter would do. We were doing 100 meter repeats on roller skis, and we were using electric timing wands. <clears throat> and uh, what we found very quickly was that if Sam put out 100% effort, it, it, he was generally slower than if he if he dialed it back yeah. and felt like he was really pushing it more like 90 to 95% effort. And I think that was due to that relaxation that totally. really helped yeah. you. Um, and we, we did, I mean, how many hours of that kind of training we did, I, I yeah, don't know, but it, but it was a lot, and it, but it paid off. It did. And, and it's, it's interesting because as you're mentioning that, I remember we had, you know, when we first started with that kind of work, uh, so we were doing, we ended up doing a lot of that in, in the skate technique on roller skis. Mm-hmm. And I remember before a lot of those, um, abilities before, you know, we really kind of hone those abilities, earlier iterations of that, we'd be doing striding on the track and roller skis. And I remember feeling so tight and, and restricted because I hadn't yet developed that relaxation at speed, uh, but was trying to move really fast for these hundred to 200 meter sections, striding on classic roller skis and, uh, and just the whole body being under tension. So I probably wasn't going as fast as I ultimately could have, if I just dialed one half notch back, but more than that, I remember just some absolutely epic crashes because it'd be so tight. And then, you know, you stick one pole in between your legs. And I, I remember doing just this outrageous Superman flying across and just having, you know, getting all skinned up and road rash, um, which, you know, thinking back on it, again, is that, you know, you think about the, the significant cost that was being put upon my muscles to have that, to be under that amount of tension trying to go fast versus those later iterations where we figured out if I just tried a little less hard with the skating, uh, I could, I could achieve the same result or maybe even faster. And, and I think that again, that, that same, that concept of relaxation and speed can translate to all these other things we're talking about. You know, if you're, if you feel like you are at the ragged edge of your, uh, effort range to be hitting that 1500 feet per hour, uh, on a climb, then not only are you working hard to achieve that, but there's just your, your the tension that your body is under and, and, you know, the separate component here that, that we may or may not touch on that, you know, sort of psychologically or mentally that you're under to have that sort of tension and, and tight focus, uh, is going to be much more costly than if, you have an ultimate capacity to maybe do 2000 feet per hour, but all that's being asked of you for that given climb that day is 1500 feet an hour. So you're like, yeah, I'm operating at 75%. I'm great. I can keep going for, for hours in this way. Uh, and I think that, you know, when we, when I think about speed and, and how I want to prepare my athletes for their given objective, that's my goal. It's like, I want, I want you to be able to do this so that when you actually get to your objective, you only have to do a portion of that. You're not, you know, you're not at your ultimate extension because, and then we can have that, that buffer in between the two as, as the sort of just in case portion. Yeah. And that, that buffer is often called, <clears throat> excuse me, speed reserve. 
And so, I mean, as a, as an example, I've had some pretty good ultra runners who couldn't run very fast. And so when they got to a flatter section of the course and all of a sudden the pace kicked up to, you know, six minute miles, they get dropped because Mm -hmm. they don't have any, you know, for them, six minute miles is flat out. Yeah. And whereas if you're, you know, a high level runner, maybe if you're, if your mile pace is five minutes, then when you hit, you know, a six minute mile is going to feel relatively relaxed and easy for you. So developing the speed reserve. And so the same thing for that climber, if that climber can climb at 2000 feet an hour and, but yet the rate that they're really going to be required to use is only 75% of that. They're going to feel a lot more comfortable. They're going to be able to go farther with it. Um, and on kind of that, that same <clears throat> topic with, I, I had a ski coach once when I was younger who told me this very wise thing that I struggled with at, at the time. He said, if you can't ski one three-minute kilometer, how are you going to ski 50 of them? And, and it, at the time, I was like, I was really disheartened because mm-hmm. I was struggling to get to where I could ski a three-minute kilometer. And then I thought, oh, shit, he's right. <laughs> how am I going to string 50 of these things together? Yeah. And, but that's really kind of what we're talking about here. And, and so you need to like, – you, you have to – build the ability to move that fast first and then work on extending that for longer and longer times. Yeah. Now in my case, it was three, you know, three minute kilometers. In your case, it was, you know, closer to a two minute kilometer in those sprints. Um, and with the, you know, this, the Mountaineer, it's this 1500, you know, this 1500 feet an hour that we're, you know, it's an arbitrary number we're using here. That's nothing special. So don't, please don't, people yeah, don't, think that, don't go home and <laughs> write your entire training plan around that. Yeah. Uh, we're just using that arbitrarily. <laughs> Um, but you need to, that's why we have, Sam was suggesting in, in the beginning with this Mountaineer, we would have them train without a pack to develop the speed that's required first, and then we can extend it or we can make the resistance higher by you know, putting a, a pack on them. And I, and I think that, you know, it, it, I, I think it can it be disconcerting or, or, um, not in line with, with an athlete's thinking initially, particularly, you know, for the mountaineer or ultra runner or, uh, you know, a, a backcountry skier or whatever it is, you know, when you think about your given objective or your sport and, and in your mind, it's, well, you know, I'm just, I'm moving at a pretty slow rate for a long time. What I need is, you know, durability and just, you know, I need to be able to manage nutrition better. I don't need to be able to run fast, but you think about what the, you know, if you have these, again, these really good biomechanics. Uh, so for the, for the runner, if you, you look at some of the, you know, the greatest marathoners or you watch Usain Bolt and, you know, you see how well they run and they're running incredibly fast, but it, they look relaxed and it just, it looks like they're doing exactly what their body was designed to do in the, in the most effective way. And if you can imagine taking that component, that, that, that econ- the economy, the, the biomechanics that they have, then and then you know if you need to dial it back to the the slower speed that's required for your event, there, there's going to be such greater relaxation than if you're training at you know a, a limited range of motion. You know you're kind of you know, think about the ultra shuffle for mm-hmm. instance. So if we think about an ultra marathon, if if all you're doing to go out and do your training is running at this slow 10 to 12 minute mile pace for hours on end and ultra shuffle with a narrow range of motion, then you're not developing those really good biomechanics that, as you say, might be coming really handy when you have a flatter section or a downhill um, 
or just in general, you don't have that range. And it's, I think the, the most important thing that we can train as athletes is, is range and mm-hmm. having that ability to be adaptable. Um, so things for the runner, uh, you know, we use, we use things like, uh, hill sprints, which are, which are really valuable, you know, short 10 to 12 second efforts with long recovery. So you, you're being really dynamic. You're, you're creating as you're applying a high, high amount of force through the muscles, um, strides during a run equally short, but same sort of thing. You're turning it over just long enough to kind of get yourself up to speed and really extend that range of the muscle before you slow down again. Those are different ways in which people can start working on these elements of speed without, um, being concerned about really tapping deeply into an endurance base that they're maybe still building. Yeah. I think that, yep. Exactly. Not going, you know, not going from no speed to trying to do mile repeats at your race, at your exactly race pace. That that's the mistake that we see often. Um, and so the, the hill sprints, which I think we've, you know, talked endlessly about in our books and on the website. Um, and we use, I think I would say most of our coaches use them with almost all of their, all the coaches use them with most of their athletes. I'm sure um, we found them to be super effective at building uphill power because it's very, it's a very powerful movement. Um, and strides, you know, are running a, on a flatter terrain, um, which will help you with leg turnover and, you know, a more, uh, a more normal running type of a stride than you're necessarily sprinting uphill. Yep. Um, you know, then what we, what we do use with our hill sprints is pretty steep terrain. Um, and that's because a lot of our events are done on, on steep terrain. And so we will have, uh, uh, 20% gradient typically and even more if we can find it and have, and have good footing at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great way to build uh, leg power for athletes. Yeah. I think one of the things that can be beneficial with hill sprints as well is that having, uh, having the incline provides a little bit of an advantage to an athlete in, ter- in terms of developing running form because you're naturally leaning into the hill right. when you're creating that, trying to generate that speed. So this, it puts you into that running position that we want to try to achieve when you're running on flat terrain. Uh, but it, sort of is a, a bit of a kickstart for that uh, and when, you're, when you're working on improving your running form. Uh, so it has this dual advantage in terms of, because I think, again, the biomechanical component of this is so important in terms of developing speed. If you're, if you're rigid and tight and a tight range of motion, you're, just, you're not going to be able to extend that speed for very long. Absolutely, yeah. And I think another point I want to make about hill sprints, another reason we use them is that they're safer than flat sprints. Sure. Yeah. Um, and sprinting is, you know, classically you hear about, you know, track sprinters with pulled hamstrings and that sort of thing. I mean, it's pretty easy to injure yourself in these really explosive, powerful movements. And we find that the, the impact is lower because you're, you're not, you're running uphill. So the impact of your, when you land on that foot, it's going to be a lot lower than the impact if you're landing on, on flat ground um, with that forward foot. And so, if you so don't go right to the track and start doing hundred meter or you know even fifty meter sprints, <clears throat> that's a great way to get injured, um, especially you know for you know, as an as an ultra endurance athlete, you probably don't have the strength in those connective tissues to support that level of power. So hill sprints can be a great way to to introduce that, and then these strides that Sam was mentioning a minute ago, we 
we tend to do those at you know, less than full speed. So those might be, you know, you'd sell, accelerate up to what I often tell the athletes I work with, accelerate up to what feels like a fun, fast speed. Yeah. You feel yeah. good. You feel relaxed. It's not a sprint. And you get up there and you hang on to that speed for just a few seconds and then it's over. Slow back down, jog for, you know, at least two or three minutes and then toss another one of those things in. And I think those, that's a, that's a very tried and true method of, of training speed. In fact, um, I had a good friend back in many years ago who ran, uh, he was a miler at the University of Oregon under Bill Bowerman, who's the famous uh, track coach at, at Oregon. And uh, Dennis told me that they ended every single workout with strides. Mm-hmm. Because Bowerman felt like you needed to stay in touch. You know, even they'd go out and go run for five or ten miles and come back. You know, on the way back to the locker room, they would throw in strides. Yeah, and I think it's touching on that speed frequently, but not excessively is really an important way. So don't your first you know stride workout or your first hill sprint workout. Don't go out and do you know twenty repetitions of this stuff. First of all, you might just be crippling yourself, and it's better to do it, you know, twice a week at a little lower volume than you know, once every two weeks, or so, let's say. Well, and I think again to continue extolling the benefits of strides, uh, it's it's progressive, right? So you're you know you're starting at a you know, your nor- whatever your normal aerobic pace is, and then when you decide to begin a stride, you start accelerating. You're not. It's not as if you're sitting, you're, you're kind of crouched down into the blocks and then explode yeah. out of there. So one, you have a bit of injury resistance uh, there just by the nature of it being progressive. But also I think it, it kind of gives you this continuum of perception in terms of, okay, this is how I feel in terms of my running form and tension in the muscles everywhere when I'm just running at my normal pace. Now I'm going to start accelerating and you can sort of, you can be observing how you feel as you ramp up that speed to what you say, you know, as you describe it's sort of that fun, fast, you know, or, you know, 90% effort say, uh, and, and get a real feel for what that's, what that feels like. Are you, are you particularly tight? You know, ideally I'll tell people you don't, you don't want to try to go so fast that you start getting tensed. You know, and that's, that's, that's the threshold that you don't want to cross. But each time you do them, you, you're gradually ramping up and then you're gradually coming back down. And so you kind of collecting a lot of information along the way about how your body's feeling, how comfortable are you running that fast? And then each time you do them, hopefully you, you increase that comfort and find yourself being a little bit more economical. Well, we certainly see that in practice that people, you know, over the course of several weeks become much more comfortable at speed. Mm-hmm. And it's a great, like we will always use, you know, hill sprints and strides before we begin to introduce like intense aerobic work. For sure. You know, it's yeah. the, t- the typical interval workout um, because it's like, we're trying to build that speed and comfort at, at speed first. And then we start adding the, the endurance component to it. Let's talk a bit about economy and what that means. What does that mean to you? Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I think about economy as the as a muscles, or you know, think more globally about the body's ability to do a certain degree of work with uh, the most effective use of energy available. So you know, a muscles or a you know, muscles ability to fire most forcefully with the least amount of of energy consumption. 
Um, and then, so by extension, if you're an econo- economical runner, you can run a certain distance uh, and, and be improving upon that distance and improving your economy by using less total energy to do that work. Yeah, I think that's the generally, that's the, the definition I think that's common is the, the energy cost to, to locomote yourself at some right. speed. And, and of course, that's going to vary. You know, we, one of the things we've been talking about in the last half an hour is how the faster you go, <clears throat> the more energy it takes to do that. Part of that is because we become more and more tense and we're not as relaxed. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be training economy for, for us, these events that we work with, the economy needs to be in that event specific speed because that there's no point in you becoming super economical at running, you know, 24 second, two hundreds. If you're, you know, <laughs> if you are a hundred mile runner, right. I mean, it's, it would be, it's a wonderful thing to have, but I don't think it's the most efficacious. Use it's like being able to time. deadlift 300, 300 pounds when you're trying to be an ultra runner. It's, yeah. it, it's fun, but you, you have this excess of strength. And, right. And, because because the endurance component plays such a huge role in all of these uh, events that we're training for, you know, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that's why we spend so much and we spent so many words and hours talking about aerobic base mm-hmm. because that is the thing that you have to have in order to complete even complete, let alone do well in these uh, longer duration events. But when you have this um, speed reserve, like you're talking about, we're talking here about, that speed reserve is relative to the event you're training for. You're going to be more economical at your event-specific speed if you have a speed reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Sam has been saying, if you're tapped out at, you know, a seven-minute mile, then you know, if that's your top speed then even running at eight minute miles is going to be pretty costly for you. You're probably right. not going to be very economical at that speed. Um, and so economy can have, I, I think of economy as having two components. One is the, the metabolic cost of moving yourself at a certain speed. And the other is the biomechanics of moving at that speed. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, of course, they're, they're not completely separable. They're, they're one and the same because if you have crappy running form, it's going to be more costly. It's going to cost you more metabolically to, to, to run at a given speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but we find that doing this kind of speed work, whether it's, you know, hiking uphill at, you know, 3000 feet an hour without a pack so that when you're hiking uphill at 2000 feet an hour, it feels totally comfortable and relaxed or, you know, learning to run comfortably at, you know, six minute mile pace instead of a seven minute mile pace, all of that will improve your economy when you're in your event, even if you're moving slower than that. Um, although I want to go back and reiterate that if you're, if you're in an event that includes a lot of walking, which most of these things do, you better get pretty good at walking fast. It's not the same as running fast. Um, and I think one thing that bears mentioning that we were talking about before we started this um, recording, Sam, was that it, walking is a lot more economical than mm-hmm. running. Is. Yeah. And I think most ultra runners have experienced this, that at some gradient, it becomes better for you to walk than to run. Because you can probably walk just as fast, but at a whole lot less energy cost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you watch... Uh 
top level ultra runners or mountain runners uh, competing, particularly in something like a vertical kilometer. And, you know, there's uh, the, the power hiking, you know, whether it's, you know, an athlete might be using poles or maybe they're, you know, pressing down on their, Mm -hmm. on their thighs to, to help, you know, apply more force to the ground and and keep themselves in position where they're going up. Those are, that's specific technique. Um, I remember when, before I was doing a tremendous amount of running and was more ski racing, I would go out and do, um, do runs with, with Allison, who has done a lot of ultra marathons and I could, I could run just fine uphill, you know, but when it came time for us to do long hiking sections, she would immediately start moving away from me. Uh-huh. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I was tired. She just had much greater economy and, and her biomechanics allowed she could have a nice quick cadence yeah. with her, with her hiking, but she was putting more force down with each hiking step. Uh, to, to be able to move faster. And I found that I would have to, you know, walk a few strides and then I'd have to run a little bit to catch Switch up to up. her. And, and it, it, that was sort of my first light bulb moment in, with, in, in that respect and to, as to how important it was to develop that, that walking wasn't walking in, or hiking in, in something like an ultra isn't just the absence of running. It's, yeah. not, it's not just the thing that you do when you get too tired, as you say, like there's, there are times when it, it's really a lot more effective and, and more specific to the given terrain to hike really well. And, and I've watched people and I've, I've been passed by people who are hiking and I'm trying here to run. And, you know, you, you think about it from a, uh, from again, an economical standpoint, when you're, when you're running, you're springing off the ground each time. So if you're trying to do that and you're fighting against gravity, that's a, a tremendously higher cost than keeping one foot planted at each time and not levitating your body off the ground as you go. Yeah, that vertical component of you know, you're moving your center of gravity up you know, two or three inches that is done in running, it isn't done so much in walking. The, I mean, the vertical oscillation in walking or hiking, whatever you want to call it, um, not running, mm-hmm. is much less than in running. And you know, we were talking earlier that many of these fancy new uh, watches will actually allow you to track your vertical oscillation. And, and what you're, what, op, to optimize that, you want to reduce your vertical oscillation so that you're not spending too much energy you know, vertically going up and down. Right. Then you can make it, you know, transfer that into a horizontal um, trajectory for yourself. Um, but yeah, I think running and walking need to be trained. And I've worked with ultra runners who were very reluctant to train walking. They just <laughs> did not want to, to go there. They think, oh, I've got to run. I've got to run. Yeah. But I, you know, when I was collaborating with Killian a lot on the new book, he told me some of his favorite workouts were, it was an interval session basically that he did where he would do two minutes at high tempo running and then two minutes of you know, long power hiking, striding. Mm-hmm. And then he would do that for an extended period, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that, just to mix it up so sure. that he could get, he was getting intensity in both modalities that way. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, Killian's pretty fast at all this stuff already, so he doesn't need, he doesn't spend a lot of time working on pure speed. But so he, those were, that was one of those speed endurance type workouts that Sam and I were mentioning earlier. But, you know, here's perhaps one of the greatest ever, uh, maybe not perhaps, but is the greatest ever mountain runner. And we see him mixing it up like that just so that 
in a race, he can either make transitions when the terrain changes right. um, or just be really good at walking fast. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it, there's, again, I think, I think it's, it's so valuable to think about it again, not as, you know, walking being the, the absence of running, the easier thing to do when the terrain gets tough, but, but the more effective way to move. Um, another example, I remember <clears throat> really, uh, distinctly when, um, Mike, our, our, our friend, Mike foot, uh, came here to visit a couple of years ago and, and we did a, a schemo interval workout. Yeah. And I think I had just, I just gotten a pair of schemo skis and I was really excited. And I'm going to go do some intervals with Mike, who of course was training for, uh, world championships and schemo at that point. And, uh, and I thought oh, this would be great because you know I'm a Nordic skier, so I can I can classic ski really well. And and we were going to use some terrain on a on a steep section of Nordic trail that that okay I can you know this is this is still kind of strideable terrain. And I remember how quickly he moved away from me with this kind of quick tempo cadence, you know, very staying low to the his feet staying low to the ground and not trying to extend this long gliding stride, but just a quick turnover. And here I am trying to reach my foot out and stride and glide like I'm on a pair of Nordic classic skis and, and realizing like the cost that I was expending trying to really forcefully throw my leg forward and glide was so much higher than his um, much more economical quick turnover where he wasn't, you know, just launching his whole body into each movement, but, but keeping the cost low for each stride and, and thus moving away from me. And that, you know, it's, it's another example where uh, there, there might be times on, you know, a flat section of a course in a given ski mountaineering race where, where you do want to exert that, you know, have longer glide and, and a longer stride length, but having the ability to turn it over quickly and be more economical on the steep terrain is, is really valuable. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I thought a lot about that workout since we did it. And I think that, you know, what happens in cross country skiing is because the skis are meant to glide. Mm-hmm. That If you do throw a lot of weight onto that ski, it will glide with you on it and you get, you get a free ride out of it. But with that full length skin, you know, you can huck all that weight out onto that ski and it doesn't glide for like two inches yeah. and then it, and it stops. And so you've spent all this energy that's then immediately absorbed by the friction of the skin. Yeah. And especially going uphill. Yeah. As you and say, with heavier gear on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And obviously when you're, you know, on flatter ground, you don't have that. The friction isn't the same, isn't as great. And so you can get some glide out of uh, no, uh, racing, mountaineering racing skis. But I, I that was my interpretation of like, why is this not working? Which, why can't we ski up these hills like cross country skiers? Right. But I think it's just because the skis don't glide for crap. Yeah. <laughs> and again, you know, it, it just, for me, it filed away yet another one of those examples of how important specificity is mm-hmm. that you can't, you can't take, uh, a, you know, a, a biomechanical, uh, set of skills that you learned in something that might seem to be pretty analogous and, and bring it to another sport and, and expect it to bear the same fruits, mm-hmm. you know? So I, um, I'm, there are certainly advantages that you can gain by being a, a Nordic skier and transferring over to becoming a ski mountaineering racer that, you know, your, your aerobic capacity is undoubtedly good. Maybe your, your anaerobic capacity, all these other components, but you still need to learn how to skin really well. Yeah. And there's a lot of components to that technique that are really important. Um, and so I think, again, we sort of, we bring it back to this idea of speed and how the athlete can evaluate what they need to do to improve their speed. 
And the first thing they need to do is identify what are the specific movements that they need to be making for their objective. And from the very foundational level, whether it's you know, doing uh, functional strength in a gym or doing the sort of what we might call you know, pure speed or neuromuscular type speed workouts, uh, such as hill sprints, how to best replicate the movements that you're trying to accomplish in your ultimate goal in those uh, foundational training workouts. Yeah, and I'm, I want to say that you know, these hill sprints that we've talked so much about, I would say it, they form a pretty fundamental part of the uphill athlete approach to training. And we find them valuable for all these mountain sports, you know, whether it's you know, mountaineering, um, running, skiing, doesn't really matter. Having powerful legs is going to help you move uphill a lot faster. And so don't think that, you know, if you're not a, you know, training for trail running that you can, that you won't get some benefit out mm-hmm. of um, hill sprints. Yeah. Um, just be careful, you know, it, stop at the first sign of injury. You know, anytime you're doing any sort of powerful explosive things, whether it's, you know, plyometrics in a gym, jumping up and down off a box, hill sprints, whatever it is, you know, don't push yourself to, through pain because yeah. there it's pretty easy to derail your training for, for weeks and weeks at a time while you heal a, a torn Achilles tendon or whatever it is. So be very careful with, with the approach that you use to speed, especially if you're coming from a background where you haven't ever done any of this kind of work. Um, and you're, you know, you're used to going out and hiking uphill at 1500 feet an hour, which isn't very powerful for most people. Yeah, I think, and that segues well into what I think is really important to talk about with these sorts of workouts is being uh, cognizant of, as you say, you know, how to, how to warm up really well. And then also the recovery, not only the recovery from the workout itself, but recovery within the workout. Um, So, you know, when we think about if you're, for instance, we'll take hill sprints. We've been talking a lot about that. If you're, if you're trying to exert the, or, or get the highest speed possible out of each repeat. So you say the, your workout has you doing 10, uh, 10 reps of a 10 to 12 second hill. That's your workout. Those are, those are the hill sprints. And so you go through an, an elaborate warm up. You start with some very easy running, and then maybe you do some, um, some gentle skips or strides up the hill, gradually warming your body up to what will eventually be really explosive movements. Again, so those muscles are warmed through that full range of motion. And then when you do, say, your first sprint and, you know, you mark that spot where you finished, it's really important to allow for a full recovery. And I, I recommend athletes are doing somewhere two to three minutes. You know, so you have a, you have a 10-second sprint, and then I want you to take two to three minutes and, you know, walk back down the hill and maybe you do a little stretching and maybe, you know, these are great to do with other people because you can fill that time, you know, chewing the fat while you're waiting at the bottom. And then you do it again. And the reason for that is that it's not an aerobic workout. You're not, you're not trying to, you know, get your heart rate up and then keep it up for the duration of the workout the way you might. And, you know, another sort of aerobic intensity session. The whole point is to get the the target muscles to fire as quickly as possible with the highest amount of force that you can exert out of them and then allow them to recover as much as they need until they can do that same thing or better again. And, you know, what we, what we have to think about when we're training that 
foundational level of speed is that you're probably asking the muscles to do something that is at you know the upper bound of what they're comfortable with. So they're not they're not into very resilient to that at that point. Uh, so if you if you truncate that recovery and you try to you try to sort of skip through and like ah you know I I walk back down after the first couple I feel fine I'm, I'm not even breathing hard I'm going to go again the muscles aren't going to have replenished the, the the fuel that they're using to do that work and so each time you're going to end up going slower and and if you go you know, again specificity if you if you train moving slow then then that's what the muscles are going to know they're not going to know how to go fast they're going to know that okay, when I, when I do this and I exert this amount of force, I'm only going this fast. Yeah, we, it's very easy for athletes that don't have much formal training and speed to turn their speed workouts into endurance workouts. Yeah. You know, it's because the endurance athlete thinks standing around is a complete waste of time. And in, a, you know, in an aerobic base building or an endurance workout, yeah, it, it isn't the most effective thing. I mean, if you're doing hard intervals, of course you need a recovery, but generally that the recovery isn't as important in the workout for these you know, uh, workouts that are trying to develop aerobic capacity. But with this, where you're trying to develop maximum power, then as you say, the recovery is everything because in as soon as you can't reach that line, you drew off the top of the hill your first, after your first sprint, you need to either think, okay, I better take an extra minute now to see if I can do it. If you, if you even taking an extra minute, you still can't hit it. Then, then, you, then you say, okay, that workout's over. It yeah. did, it did what it was intended to do. It fatigued the fibers that are, you know, they're your most powerful fibers that you could current at your current level could recruit to use. Those fibers are now fatigued. Yeah. So they got the training effect they want, even though it was only 10 seconds long. And I think that is a real struggle for many endurance athletes to think, well, what good is training, you know, going 10 seconds. Right. Right. I did a cumulative total of yeah, 60, 60 or a hundred seconds worth of work. That's, that's not, not very much, not very much in the endurance world. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so, and I think then what the, what the subsequent mistake that's made is, and, and this, you know, particularly if an athlete determines that the way they're going to train speed is maybe through two or three minute long intervals mm-hmm. with, you know, with, perhaps equal rest or perhaps even less is that it just, it just becomes a different workout. It yeah, becomes that's an endurance workout, right? It becomes an endurance workout, but, but unfortunately it may be an endurance workout. That's also slow. <laughs> so, yes, yes. And that, and that I think where we, you know, again, we harp on this a lot, but it's, uh, it, it's what, it, it's what you see so often is that in t- interval workouts become simply a workout to train your ability to work hard. To suffer. To suffer, yeah, to work hard but not go very fast. Yeah, uh, and and so it it comes back to this idea, and we've talked about it in other podcasts, and Alice and I have talked about it with regard to strength. Is just being intentional about what you're going to do. So mm-hmm. if if you decide I want to train my speed as a runner, and you know I've I've heard that hill sprints are the way to do it. So approach that workout. You know when you go and do your hill sprints, approach it with that knowledge that my whole goal for this workout is to spend you know, a certain amount of time going as fast as possible. And as you said, if, if, if you sort of establish your baseline with that, with that as fast as possible speed being the, the mark at the top of the hill where you hit with your first hill sprint, if you can no longer achieve that mark and you keep inching backward on the hill with each subsequent rep, then be, again, be faithful to the, uh, the goal of the workout and acknowledge I'm no longer, I'm no longer training speed. Now I'm just training, 
you know, my ability to work hard and I need to pull the plug because the goal is not being met or maybe the goal was met. I, you know, I did four repeats and I achieved and I did that. That's great. Maybe next week I can do five or six and, you know, be, be comfortable with the idea that training is progressive and, you know, go do an aerobic workout. <laughs> yeah. That, tomorrow you get to do one of those long. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that the, I know that we worked a lot on this with, you know, in my ski coaching career and a lot with you is it's pretty easy to, to be a slow, effortful athlete. Mm. In our case, we, we would say skier. So it's pretty easy to be slow and effortful. We were trying to make you fast and effortless. Yeah. And I think that's what we're shooting for here. And that's the mistake, again, the mistake that a lot of these in, in, that endurance athletes tend to make when they shift, start doing speed work is if the effort isn't, if they're not getting exhausted doing it, they don't feel like they're getting any training effect. Then it must not be fast. Enough. And if you, yeah. if you go ever, I'm sure there's many of them on YouTube. I remember when, when Usain Bolt was at his peak, his coach published quite a few of his workouts um, on, on YouTube. And it was incredible to watch how little those guys actually ran <laughs> in those workouts. I mean, they might not run more than a total of four or 500 meters in a, like a two hour workout. Most of the time was spent lying on the ground, stretching and, you know, stretching their calves and resting. And it, it's, it, it, that's really hard for endurance athletes to wrap their heads around. Totally. And I remember in, in, uh, when I was a swimmer, um, you know, at a quite a high level, having you know, the sprinters would do one workout and all the distance swimmers would do another workout. And we would just think those sprinters were just the laziest <laughs> people in the world because, you know, they get in the pool and they, you know, swim 25 meters really hard and they get out and snap the towel at each other's butts and, you know, <laughs> banter back and banter and, and five they, minutes later do another one. Yeah, they might swim 500 meters in a workout, you know, where we're swimming 5,000 meters yeah. in that same workout. And, but it's, you're training a completely different system. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we, we want to make that, we are, I hope we're making that point here to people that, that you're, you have to respect the system you're trying to train. Yeah. Um, and then, and I think it's, it, you can, you can approach it as, you know, when you're going to do your hill sprint workout or, or when you're going to do it, a, you know, again, if we think about speed train, speed is a form of strength. So if you're going into the gym and doing a strength workout, you are, uh, you are, you need to think about approaching those workouts as a dedicated sprinter might do, or as a dedicated strength athlete might do. And, and as you say there, you know, it's, it's not about trying to race through all the different, all the repeats as quickly as possible, keeping your heart rate up. I mean, when you, when you watch someone like Usain Bolt run the hundred, you know, when he crosses the finish line, he doesn't collapse at the end exhausted. He's like, prancing uh, you know beyond uh, around the track looking very relaxed i mean it, certainly it takes it takes a, a tremendous degree of of effort on in, to a certain extent to do that work but it's not in the way that we as you know ultra endurance athletes think about just complete global exhaustion yeah. and and so i think putting yourself a bit in that mindset when you approach these sort of speed workouts can be really helpful in terms of doing them effectively instead of bringing your you know, 50 miler mindset to a hill sprint workout and just trying to, you know, kind of push through regardless of how fast or slow you might be moving. And another mistake that I've seen frequently made is that 
people will, they're, they're going to think, well, that hill sprint workout, you know, I'm not running very much. I'm sure maybe I do a 15 or 20 minute warm up, and then I do, you know, this warm up on the hill, like you're talking about, of, you know, skipping or bounding, you know, low, medium intensity, and then I do the sprints, and then it's over. And where if you're used to doing three hour runs, mm. you're going to go, well, uh, this doesn't feel like much. <laughs> no, what I do. The yeah. mistake I've seen with people is they throw this hill sprint workout in the middle of a three hour workout. And so they're trying to mix speed and endurance in the same workout. So you could potentially do that, but do the speed first. Yeah. I yeah. don't think you're going to run for an hour and a half and then do your hill sprints and then run for another hour after that. Um, Cause your muscles are going to be blunted. You're going to dull yourself. It's it yeah. even, you know, and this is another topic that I want to talk to you about sometime in the future, Sam is, is the concept of fatigue mm-hmm. and what that means. But the main thing that we, we know, and we have, and we have you and I, and, and our coaches have learned over um, many years is that you have to do the quality before you do the quantity, yeah. because there is a neuromuscular uh, excuse me, there is, yeah, there's a, a neurologic component to fatigue that will set in when you go, even if you go out and run easily for, you know, an hour and a half, you're, as you said, you're going to be dulled. Your nervous system is going to be slightly detuned and you're not going to be able to produce that power. Yeah. So the same thing that, you know, we often will tell people, you know, maybe do your strength workout or your power workout or your speed workout in the morning. Then in the evening, if you're doing two a days, then in the evening, fine, go out and do an hour and a half run or whatever it is. <clears throat> but if you flop those around, there's a good chance that the quality won't be there, mm-hmm. um, especially if there's not very much recovery in between those. And that's a really good, I think, you know, in, in thinking about takeaways for the athlete, uh, two things came to mind when you said that. One is, uh, and a, <laughs> a pet peeve of mine is hearing about uh, group intensity workouts oftentimes. So people will get together and <clears throat> train train intervals, whether it's, you know, skiing or running or whatnot. And it often becomes a bit of a a variety show of different, different formats. So, okay, we're going to start and we're going to do, you know, three by four minutes of this. And then we're going to do, you know, two by 10 minutes here. And then we're going to finish with these 30 second repeats, you know, and, and, and when you think about it, if you, if you use that, the, the logic or the, the, thought process that you were just describing, Scott, like do think about what each workout or each component of a workout is attempting to train and, and, and be, be cognizant of how best to approach that. So, you know, in the example I just gave, you know, the difference between a a three minute or even a 10 minute interval and a 30 second repeat, the 30 second one is probably intended to be at a higher speed. So if you're trying to train as high a speed as possible, you want to be as fresh as possible to do that. So put those 30 second repeats at the beginning and then understanding that they're probably going to blunt the muscles a bit, that you're going to fatigue those little fast twitch fibers that are reliant on, you know, limited available availability of fuel. And then as they get more tired, well, then you can go into the longer intervals that your speed isn't going to be as high. It's going to be more about you know, your aerobic endurance, and so you can afford to go into them a little bit more tired because then you're, you're training a different system or a different component. And, and the same can be true, I think, when you're as an athlete or as a coach when you're laying out a week of training and you're looking, okay, I want to, you know, I want to train speed and I want to train uh, you know, aerobic power maybe, you know, maybe some, some zone three work. Put the, 
put the speed work, put the stuff that you want to be fresh at, put that at the beginning of the week. Yeah. And so maybe Monday is your rest day. And then Tuesday morning, you go and you approach that stuff where you really want to be sharp. And then you, you know, over the course of the week, you're doing some more volume. Maybe on Friday you do, you know, you have, you have some easier aerobic training in between. And on Friday you do your, your zone three work, understanding that you're not going to be fresh, but that's okay because the, the amount, the, the speed that you're trying to hit is much lower than the stuff you did on Tuesday. Right. And so having a little bit of that fatigue is going to be okay. You can still gain the benefits that you're looking to get out of that workout. Yeah, because those benefits we're looking for primarily are metabolic. Right. You know, and you're going to get the same metabolic stress, you know, even if you're moving, you know, a few seconds per kilometer faster or slower. I mean, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's, it's that, you know, quality in, in front of quantity. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a, a really good, and like you said, being fresh, these, these workouts where you need to generate a lot of power, you do need to be fresh, you know, have slept well, um, then if you really want to maximize them. Yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, you, in our experience with you, there were times when we showed up to do some of those workouts and we could tell, that, you know, you, even during the warm up, I could just tell with your body language, like, eh, it doesn't look that sharp today. Then we try one or two and you're just, you're too flat. Mm-hmm. And so we just pulled a plug and, you know, okay, we need to, you know, you can go do an hour and a half easy workout. Fine. Cause you're a little tired. But, or we, or maybe if we really wanted to get back at this speed workout, we'd just tell you to take the day off and come back and try it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, don't, you can't force this speed stuff, this quality. It has to be, you know, you have to be fresh for it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, well, I'm not sure we covered most of the stuff, I think. Um, I look forward to a talk with you about fatigue because I think that's something that people could understand better, mm-hmm. you know, all the different aspects of fatigue and what causes it and how we can um, cope with it. Um, and, and especially in ultra endurance events, there's been a lot of study done on the kind of fatigue that will end up slowing athletes down. So I think we should, we should plan on one of those in the future. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's a, and that's a big topic. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, I think um, we've wrapped up for today. I really appreciate it, Sam. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. Okay, everybody. We'll take care and we'll catch up to you next time. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.